What's up, everyone, and welcome back to Just James Horror Reviews. I'm your host, Just James, and this is episode number five. Today, I'm going to be reviewing the book Small Spaces by Catherine Arden. It's a 2018 novel that was published by J.P. Putnam's Sons, which is an imprint of Penguin Random House. This book, Small Spaces, is a story about a group of middle school kids that are dealing with this monster devilish cryptid thing that exists on a farm somewhere in a cornfield the cover art is very cool it shows this uh, creepy scarecrow uh, with this really exaggerated grin in a cornfield that looks vast and it also is littered with a bunch of really weird creepy looking scarecrows and then right slap dab in the middle of it is a yellow school bus so just from the cover art you kind of already have a feel of what you might be getting into. It does set the stage for what the story it turns out to be. And I just really enjoyed the artwork. I'm sorry I don't have the name of the artist for that artwork. Now, Catherine Arden is an American novelist, although looking up her history, it looks like she had spent some time in France, some time in Moscow. She went to college in Vermont and I believe currently living in Hawaii. All those experiences, I think, have come through in her writing as far as uh, perspective and, and different ideas that are presented throughout the story. She also has a series of books that I believe she's more well known for, The the Bear and the Nightingale, which is part of a series. I think one of the other ones is called uh, The Girl in the Tower or something like that. I don't know. I haven't read that one. The, I just got exposed to the book that we're going to review today um, by some books that a buddy had brought to me that were in the library. And I was given this book uh, by him, and I read it, so I figured I'm going to do a review on it. If I read it, I'm going to do the review. I liked the book. I'll start with that. It is a middle school, uh, it's for middle school age kids, and you can see that when you read it. Not, I'll say not by content, because it has some pretty scary stuff. I mean, it talks about, there's a, a part in the book uh, that talks about some kids that died in a fire where, like, all the kids died in this fire. So... It does handle heavier issues, but I believe it's middle school only on reading level only. The words and, and sentence structure, all that stuff that's used in this book are very much on par for kids in that age group. But the story, just like, you know, you think about when you read Fear Street and Goosebumps and all these other stories in middle school, some of them dealt with some very scary, maybe more adult theme things, but, you know, they just weren't overtly grotesque or sexual anyway anything like that and this story falls along those lines so I'll say even though it is for middle school age kids anybody could read this book and enjoy it which I did so it starts out with a a girl named Ollie she's 11 years old and she's in class and it starts out with her not really paying attention you kind of get this idea that she's really smart and just kind of bothered by school your typical middle school you know, preteen angst that's starting to build as a kid. You find out as it goes on that she's uh, she lost her mother in a plane crash, which adds to this anxiety and, and this troubled youth kind of thing that she has going. She loves to read, and um, you discover throughout the story also that her family they were they were this great picturesque family you know loving parents they went out and did stuff all the time they did all kinds of outdoorsy things uh the mom and, and dad they would go kayaking and rock climbing so she knows a lot about outdoors 
survival and just tools of the trade and all that kind of stuff, which comes in handy later. So in class, uh, she does a couple of things that let you know that she's intelligent by knowing all these math problems. And then there's a new girl in school who is, they keep calling her a city girl. She's very bubbly, very happy all the time, not seem to be bothered by when people are making fun of her. And she gets, she's getting laughed at on the playground. Long story short, Ollie ends up throwing a rock at this guy and hitting him. And the, the funny thing too, and I think this helps, you know, you kind of build the personality, the main character. She throws one rock and then says, well, I've already thrown one. I'm just going to go ahead and throw another. And she uses a little quip that her mom used to say to her. So it's very cool. Um, you see that she has this, this take no shit attitude, you know, and uh, so she goes home, talks to her dad, gets in trouble. They fight over it. It's a whole thing. Um, on the way home, she stops by a, a creek, I think, or a river or something like that. And she runs into this lady who is trying to destroy this book by throwing it in a creek. Well, Ollie's an avid reader. She loves books. She loves getting any kind of new book. So she sees this and automatically wants this book. So she goes over, talks to the lady. The lady seems very just distraught and disheveled and like, I'm so sorry. I just got to get rid of this book. I'm sorry. I'm all apologetic. Ollie gets freaked out. She's scared. She ends up taking the book from this lady and running home and doesn't tell her dad, goes up and starts reading it. Well, this book, which is also the name of the title that we're reading, Small Spaces, she reads it and it's some kind of historical account. It, it talks about a, a piece of property and some history that is local that she recognizes. And it goes into this family where you learn about a, there's these two brothers, they fell in love with one girl. The one girl ends up picking one of the brothers. The other brother gets all upset and runs out and he's never seen again. Of course, the mom is distraught about the brothers and this fight and now she's lost one of her sons. So she tells the surviving son, you need to go find your brother. Don't come back until you have your brother with you. So brother comes back. They both end up coming back. They're both, the, the brother that was gone in the beginning comes back very odd to say the least. The idea I got was a very pet cemetery-ish you know, where the sometimes dead is better kind of thing. They come back, but it's not really them. It's just like some kind of weird husk version of them. So this guy comes back. The brother, they ask him what happened. He's all weird about it. He says he made a deal with some kind of smiling man, and he has to pay a debt. The time comes when he has to pay that debt, and then both the brothers disappear. So there's some kind of, there's some codes in there about when the mist turns to water or, or when the water turns to mist. I can't remember which way it goes, but... The thing I like about how this author put all this together is there's just enough, there's just enough of these breadcrumbs as you go along to where you want to find out more and more. There's not just one really big mystery that you're trying to solve through the whole thing. There's just these little clues. She just feeds you a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. So it really drives the story forward. It really keeps you interested and you're going along with these characters as far as just living through these characters, if that makes any sense. So I really enjoyed that part of it, the how she put these things in here to keep you interested. So, you know, is an adult going to be invested in an 11-year-old girl? I don't know. But you are invested in the same things that this 11-year-old girl is invested in. So that's how I think this novel is really good at keeping all any audience who might be reading this uh, going. You know, it's just, they're keeping you going. They're keeping you going. So anyway... She ends up making friends 
or well in the end she ends up making friends but she ends up being involved uh they go on a, a school field trip so the next day she goes to class they're going on a school field trip they find out it's at this farm one of the kids is like hey what about what happened at the farm so the teacher starts telling them about how there was once this lady that lived there and there was these two sons and they fell in love with his daughter so ollie realizes holy cow this is what I've been reading in this book. Now, no one knows that she has this book. So she hears all this. She's listening. She's starting to put it all together. They talk about all that and how, like, maybe it's haunted or whatever because of these things. And then they share the extra story because the kid pushes even further. He's like, no, 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 no. Everyone knows that one. I mean the other one. And so he shares this second story that happened on that farm where there was this schoolhouse full of children uh i guess like a montessori kind of thing kind of schoolhouse that was going on and all these kids ended up dying in this fire and like i said it gets you're like oh shit this thing's getting pretty serious you know this book's getting serious we're talking about a bunch of dead kids here i thought it was kind of some light-hearted you know scarecrow stuff but it hits you with enough of these really dark elements to where you're like oh, okay there's some real danger here there's some, you know, some really bad stuff. Whatever this thing is that's out here making these deals with people is, it's, it, it doesn't care. It'll, it'll kill kids. I mean, you know, what's more scary than that? That's something that just doesn't discriminate. It just wants death or the souls you find out, you know, of these, of these people. So anyway, they go to the farmhouse and wouldn't you know it, Ollie gets there and the lady that runs the farmhouse is the same lady that was trying to get rid of the book in the creek that she stole the book from. So she's trying to avoid this lady the whole time, hoping she doesn't recognize her. And she does. She ends up wandering off. The lady doesn't seem to recognize her. And this weird, creepy bus driver uh, follows her to a graveyard, hits her with these weird riddles. He's a very strange guy. He's got a weird look, she says. Very dogged look to him. And uh, she ends up getting saved by one of the farmhand help guys that was there with the woman who originally had the book in the be- in, when the field trip first got there comes in saves her say hey yeah he's kind of a creepo don't worry everything will be all right field trips over with the bus is leaving ends up breaking down and all these kids are stuck on this bus nighttime starting to roll in none of the phones are working so the bus driver's like hey uh why doesn't the teacher guy go and get help i'll stay here with all the kids we'll figure it out now what's interesting about this part is the uh some of the stuff that the author had put in there was that she originally got the idea for this story when she was riding a megabus to somewhere. I don't know. She got the original idea of like how of a story about a bus being broken down and what would happen to the people on the bus if it broke down. Now, this story branches way out from that. I mean, if that if that was the original premise, I think that's the beauty of a writer is their mind can go from that one premise and spiderweb out into what this novel becomes so i thought that was kind of neat uh i'll also add in there too that the reason i know that is because this particular author this katherine arden she does have she has a website you can go to katherinearden.com and see all of her novels and different reviews that were done and all her information's on there and she also has a very large online presence uh, I, don't, I don't know how big her fan base or anything is, but I do know online, whether it's Instagram or Facebook or whatever, she does Instagram Live pretty regularly, and it looks like she responds a lot to people's comments. So if that's something that interests you, I know, uh, for me, I think it's cool if you can actually reach out and talk to someone who you're a really big fan of, and they they talk back to you. So this is, if it's something you're interested in, or if you've really fell in love with her writing, or 
some of her novels or whatever it is, you can get on there. And like I said, she goes live so you can talk to this person and uh, just something, just an extra, you know, additional thing that's cool about not only this book, but the person that wrote it. So, you know, go on there, share your thoughts. I'm sure they appreciate stuff like that. So anyway, the bus breaks down. Now her mom, Ollie's mom died in a plane crash. And only thing she got from that plane crash was a wristwatch that her mother was wearing. This wristwatch starts giving her these secret messages that she believes are supposed to help her. So, you know, it might say like run or hide or, or whatever it says. Anyway, she gets these messages that she's supposed to be getting off the bus. Now, again, she's 11 years old, she's in middle school, and she's saying, I'm going to get off this bus and run because something crazy freaky is going to happen. Now, she's already been seeing all the scarecrows at this point because they were on the farm. That's where the scarecrows were. There's a bunch of them. They all look like sort of real, but not. But there's really a bunch of them. They don't understand why. So, anywho, she talks to the bus driver. And uh, so, as far as the, the writing goes, the writing's really well done. The imagery is awesome. One of the, uh, one of the parts I really liked was the bus driver. She starts talking about how he has these large egg white eyes. So the, the egg white eyes thing for me was just, it's one of those things where you read it and I think across the board, it doesn't matter who you are, what your experience is in horror or literature or whatever, you, that particular reference I think would look the same. If you ask 20 different people what this guy looked like, her ability to describe him, we would all say the same thing. So I thought that was cool, these big, large, egg white eyes that this guy has as he's talking to her. So anyway... She gets off the bus, takes off running. Uh, two of the people follow her, which is two of the people that were involved in the fight and the rock throwing that she had at the beginning of the book. So now we have our trio, which finishes out the rest of the story together. It's Ollie, the city girl who's new to town, Coco, and then I believe Brian is, he's going to be our one male character uh, that's a, uh, I guess he's sort of a jock. They talk about him about being a jock, but he also makes other references to uh, that he reads some, which kind of ties them all together. And of course, in books like this, I think a lot of times they work on trying to teach kids to, you know, that we all have these mischaracterizations of each other. You know, we all have these uh, things that we might think about a person just based on the way they look, act, talk, whatever that might be. Ollie carried around some of these put these on these people that she didn't really know and at the time didn't care to know and part of that and part of what this book deals with is the is trauma um for her it's the trauma of losing her mom and her life just being transformed in a way that she wasn't ready for and her having to deal with that it goes into uh, another part that i think is nice about dealing with this tragedy is everyone you know you're a kid and everyone treats you like a kid, and then it's magnified when you have some kind of great loss like this. But even the kids are self-aware enough to know when people are patronizing isn't the right word, but when when people don't know how to help, and they just say, "Oh, I'm so sorry, I'm sorry for your loss," and they keep saying that, and you know, poor baby, this must be awful. You know, how are you dealing with this? And she just doesn't want that sympathy from people anymore. She just wants to be able to move on and not have people, you know, give her this fake sympathy. So that's a part of a believe why she's so angsty which just adds to her character development as the story goes on anyway they get off this bus they start hearing screams from the bus after they're far away and then they start getting chased by the scarecrows scarecrows so first part we get with these scarecrows they come in they got these weird like garden tool hands and they're trying to grab them they they end up hiding somewhere where they're not caught because they can't get to them with their weird shovel little rake hands <laughs> and, and interesting fact i would like to know why they ch why she chose to have them have garden tool hands i guess because they're in a garden because they're a scarecrow i don't know 
why that was the choice. I would like to know that, though. I wonder why they chose that and not something else. Like, were hook hands too scary, maybe? I don't know. Maybe it's just trying to match a theme. Who knows? It didn't take away or add to the story in any way that was positive or negative. They were already creepy because there are hundreds of scarecrows running around trying to grab you. So, freaky enough. Anyway, they end up waking up. They decide it's time to go try to find some help, check on the bus, and maybe go back to the farm, try to find something. Ollie's watch is giving her messages on where to go. They end up running into this they, this house that they hadn't seen before, picturesque, perfect house, and it's almost like a mirage in the desert. They're just like, this, this can't be. What is this thing out here? They get there, they start talking to the lady that's in the house who's very kind, and we find, Ollie starts to realize that this lady is actually the mother of the two brothers that were fighting over the woman at the, beginning, at the very beginning of this lore. And she's getting a message on her phone that says something like, don't eat the food. Uh, one of the, I can't remember, maybe it's both of them, maybe it's Coco or Brian, both. they both start to eat and she's telling them no and then they look down and the food is rotten and they all look around all of a sudden the house is rotten and this lady looks crazy and there's these things banging on the door and on the windows and they turn around and it's two scarecrows. Now remember, this is during the day. They had learned previously that the scarecrows can only get you at night. So it's during the day. Well, now these scarecrows, so as you're reading it, for me anyway, I thought, oh, is this a dream? Are they still trapped in this world? What in the world is going on? Now it's, you know, we've upped the scare factor because now these guys are here during the day trying to snatch us with their little, you know, trowel hands or whatever. So Ollie takes the chance to say, hey, they told us they can only get us a night, so we're just going to blow past them. They end up escaping, blowing past them, and they give chase, but they don't catch them because it turns out to be true that they can't harm them during the day. And so they're trying to figure out why these scarecrows are still here. Why are they being tricked? Why did that lady's house look one way or the other? And one of them compares it to uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where the kids go through, they go into Narnia, and it's just different. It's a different world that exists, this good and this bad, this good and bad Narnia thing. And I thought that was kind of cool that she pointed out that parts of her story reflect other stories. And, you know, you can't help but write a story, and it someone think of another story that it references so i thought that that was kind of neat that she kind of threw that out there to say hey i understand that this you know someone reading this is going to think this so i'm just going to go ahead and throw it out there and the kids reference that and it helps them kind of understand what's going on so kind of puts it all together and uh they decide that you know the only way they're going to do this is they got to find out who the smiling man is because he's got to be the key he's got to be the ticket to get out of whatever this weird world that they're in and try to save you know, the school kids and try to save all these souls or whatever. So, um, the story kind of fast forwards from there. I will say this, and, and maybe this is because it is a, a middle school type book. Um, I want, you know, I wanted more from the story and there's other books, like I said, that go with this. So I might check those out. One looks like it's about clowns or something. So I might check that one out. It looks pretty cool. And so they end up finding a cornfield and they figure out they have to go to the center of it and that that's where the smiling man's going to be. But what's in a cornfield? I'll tell you what's in a cornfield. A shit ton of scarecrows, right? So you're like, oh man, here we go. This is our magnum opus here at the end, right? They're about to they're about to get into it, right? So they go into the cornfield, and they end up getting separated, and Ollie has this uh, showdown with this smiling man in the middle. And I'm going to kind of fast forward a little bit because we've been... We're going a little long on this one, but it's okay because books are a little harder to review because there's so many moving parts to them. And I know I'm not doing this thing any justice uh, as far as it's hard to summarize someone's work, someone that's put a bunch of work into something like this in just 20 minutes. So 
Uh, I do want to give it its due, but I'll say she has this showdown in the end. Uh, like most kids' books, she ends up tricking the trickster. Um, con, not con him in something, but just ends up tricking him. She's smarter than him. She outwits him. She ends up saving all of her friends. Ends up getting rid of the smiling man, but he kind of references that he is forever because basically he makes deals with people who want things. She tried to, he made a deal with the brother to bring the other brother back, but then when it was his time to pay up with his soul or whatever that was, he had to go and become one of the scarecrows for the, for the smiling man. And the same thing, he tried to get Ollie by saying, hey, I can bring your mother back. And you find out, too, the book thing, where the book comes from, was the lady that was trying to get rid of the book, that was part of the deal with the smiling man. So she was having, and this part seemed a little cheap. I wish this part was a little better, but the lady was having money troubles, and she was going to lose her farm or whatever. So she was like, well, I'll trade this whole school bus full of kids, and I'll get rid of this book for you if I can save my farm. So maybe that's just showing, you know, it's just looking like, like, hey, this is what greed can do to you. I don't know. But it seemed like a, a lofty thing to pay. Here's 27 kids and I'll get rid of a book. You know, you can have all their souls if you can just get me out of debt. But I mean, hey, you know, I didn't. how many books have I wrote? Zero. So I'm not going to try to say I, I, I could do any better. I still like the story. It's a great story. I think you should. Yeah, I found it at the library. Like I said, my buddy brought me the book. I checked it out. And I will say this. There was this weird thing inside the book that said like quiz number. And I was asking some people about it, and I guess it's for uh, different schools or maybe homeschools or something like that. But they're part of a series of books that they use for, uh, I guess, literature quizzes. I would like to know if that's something that they approach the author about, or is there some type of council or group or governing body or whatever that elects books to use for that and what the criteria is for that? Because I would like to know why this book was used. Um, it's a good book, but is there something specific in it where they like, hey, this will be good to grade kids on their reading comprehension or reading level or whatever that might be. So I thought that was neat in it. Uh, the book ends like most, you know, young teen things do. It's They wrap it all up in a nice, neat little bow. Everyone's a friend at the end. Everyone's cool. Uh, you know, the jock, the nerd, the city girl, whatever. They're all getting along together and they're friends. And they find out a lot about themselves and about life and all that in the end and and that's it and it just moves on so a couple of things I want to point out that I liked about it is there's a scene where Ollie is looking towards the Coco the girl from the city and she notices as they're going through all these horrible things she's never complaining and originally that was one of the things that she hated about her was she was so bubbly and happy all the time and positive and she couldn't stand that about her and then she realized it was actually a strength of this person that she was able to stay positive and, and happy when things are just looking grim. They use an example of her shoes being soaking wet and it's freezing outside and the girls never complain the whole time despite being cold and hungry and all this other stuff. And there was another scene where Coco's crying about something and normally Ollie would look at that at weakness, but by the end of the book, she, she comments on it and she says that, you know, uh, Coco cries because she feels things and Ollie doesn't cry because she doesn't feel things anymore since the loss of her mom. So I thought that was a really, this, this book does deal with, with trauma. And I think that's a, a good, um, it's just a little, it's just a little pop in there in between all this action, you know, you get hit with something like that. And I think that's a, it's stuck with me. So I'd hope it sticks with kids. And surely if kids have been through some type of major trauma, I think it, that will stick with them as well. But it does go with, uh, if you've ever heard the phrase, hurt people, comma, 
hurt people. It goes along those lines. It's a very deep concept. It's a lot for an 11-year-old, but an 11-year-old who's been through a lot or seen a lot or been afflicted by a lot, I think this book, they'll be able to associate with that and really enjoy not only the story, but this character and the triumphs of the end and all that. So anyway, last thing I want to add to this is there is a very enduring acknowledgement page at the end by the author where she's given a lot of thanks to people that helped her out. But I think it's also funny she puts in there people that dealt with things that she was doing and how she was during the writing of this book. So not so support comes in many different forms. I think we can all relate to that. And I think it was very enduring what she wrote at the end uh, about all those people that helped her out. So it says it just it just kind of gives you more information about who this person is, the author. And also to well, Okay, okay, last, last, last of the last things. I would also like to know the lore of this because the other books that she's written, she has a, a, a series that I believe is related to, uh, it's set in Moscow or, or, or somewhere along those lines, uh, the, the Bear and the Nightingale series, which I think is what she's better known for. And I would like to know how, where she's been and studied and done all these things, how that helped build and create the lore for this small spaces story. So the smiling man, is that something that she has created on her own? What influenced that particular thing? Is it a demon? Is it uh, a cryptid? Is it some type of entity that exists just in that location? Is it, you know, what is the lore that's around that? And was that built off something that's more of an Americanized idea? Or is it something more of something that she picked up over in Moscow? Because I know horror is very different in different not only regions of the United States but uh, very much so in different parts of the world so that would be cool to know uh, the ideas for that and maybe one day I'll find out I don't know maybe one day I'll shoot her an email or something and follow up on this and see like I said she seems to uh, be very up for talking to fans so anyway thanks for listening this is Just James Horror Reviews I'm your host Just James take care